and amen. I'm a little thrown back by Tiff just now. Praise God, Tiff. Oh, oh that's a hit. I ain't that. That was crazy. Praise God for that. That was that was that was an amazing um, rendition of a, a, a woman who knows theology and utilizes it and laces it in her artistry. Amen. 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 Glad to dive back in. We're back in First Peter yet. Um, again, we have been trekking through. We have made it to chapter four. We're chapter four. So we got this chapter. We got one more chapter to go. Um, so the Lord has really um, been gracious to us um, in um, helping us to kind of walk through um, this book. Peter enters a different section of this book as he is continuing to flesh out his theme that he's working through. And I pray that we don't get tired of this theme. One of the big themes of the New Testament that Peter is one who one of the apostles in, in, in his book, First Peter, talks about more than most is suffering. He talks about it um, in a way that seems to be a familiar topic for believers. And as we go into this next section, it's, 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 it's interesting the spent that he goes. You see how crazy last week was in relation to all that we had to work through. <clears throat> but as we work through some of those difficult things, one of the things that we remembered is to keep the larger goal in mind. And this chapter, in some ways, mirrors Philippians chapter 2 in the way he talks about the Lord Jesus. Peter, in all realization, has one of the most complex Christologies in the New Testament. And so we see here, even though it's extremely complex, he makes it very, very practical for our lives. You know, as we go into this passage and we look at the Christian life, as believers in the new, new century church, the first century church, and the first few centuries, they, were, they, they, they taught um, believers a particular philosophy of life. They, they didn't just merely give them the word of God. But as they gave them the word of God, they gave them a philosophy of the word of God. Now, when I say philosophy, that doesn't mean that they're adding anything to the word of God. They're just giving believers a unified way of understanding God's word. And so, and all of the apostles were on one accord about this philosophy of life. And one of the things that they would teach believers when they first trusted Jesus Christ is that the Christian life is going to be a struggle. They didn't make a bunch of empty promises of what God would provide when people came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. As a matter of fact, they didn't utilize God as the cosmic genie as a way of getting people to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. But what they did is they were real about this because they had experienced a little something, something. And since they had all experienced a little something, something, they said, let's put you D with what things are actually like in the Christian life. They didn't front load the gospel telling you that in order to become a Christian, you got to be anything. They didn't do that. That's front-loading the gospel, and that's another gospel. However, they did explain to them the nature and challenges of what it means to become a Christian. 
And so today, as we go through just six verses, I want to talk to you today about the consequences of the Christian life. The consequences of the Christian life. Most of us, when we hear about consequences when it comes to the gospel <coughs> and when it comes to the Christian life, is hell. But, 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 but I'm going to talk about, based on what the apostles teach, that Jesus taught them is the consequences that come in being a believer. The stuff that comes with it that everybody doesn't tell you about. There's a funny book out that's called What Your Churches Won't Tell You, and it makes you want to read the book, right? Makes you want to read the book. Well, what's well, well, today Peter, Peter talks about what we should be telling people. And so he dives, and I'm going to read the verses, and we're going to just chop it up. I got one point, three sub points, and we're going to walk through it, get out of here. Verse 1, he says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. The time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, for this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the same way God does. If you're going to recognize the consequences of the Christian life, the first thing that Peter wants us to understand is that it changes our relationship to God's way of thinking and God's way of doing things. That if you're going to understand the consequences of the Christian life, it changes. One of the consequences is that it changes our way, uh, 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 our relationship to God's way of thinking and God's way of doing things. It says, he says, since Christ suffered. It's interesting that in the Greek, the, the, the first word in the passage or the that's in the emphatic position is Christ. He starts the sentence with Christ. He starts the sentence with Christ to understand so that the believers can understand the central makeup of who gives us identity and who identifies our practice in this context. And he says, he says in the verse, he says, therefore, he says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with this way of thinking. This, this word armed is, is an interesting word. It's a military term. It's a military term meaning to get yourself ready for battle. In other words, it means put on the regalia that has to do with the particular type of war that you're about to get into. And he tells them, he says, I want you to arm yourselves with this way of thinking. It's in the middle, it means we got to take a responsibility for ourselves to arm ourselves. God isn't going to arm us apart from our responsibility to utilize his means of grace to arm ourselves. 
And so he says, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking that Christ had in his suffering. And so, so what is he saying? It's kind of mirroring in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, have this mind in you that is also in Christ Jesus. And so he says, arm yourselves with this same way of thinking. What way of thinking? Christological thinking. Can you say that? Christological thinking. Peter is telling the Christians in Asia Minor that Christ's philosophy of life, the whole thing, is a weapon. His way of thinking and his way of doing things. And I wanted to pick out several things that you can find kind of in the Gospels that kind of illustrate this. First thing that one of the things that, you know, Jesus dealt with and he armed himself with is he started his ministry knowing he wasn't going to have a lot of people. He started his ministry, and when he went in his ministry, he knew that he was going to have relational friction. What's interesting about Christological way of thinking is you have to be willing to follow Christ at any cost and be willing to deal with the frustrations that come with it. Are you willing to experience relational friction? Jesus Christ experienced more relational friction than anybody in the history of anyone. It's interesting, he's, 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 he's teaching and he just fed 5,000 people the greatest miracle of all times. It wasn't a Jedi mind trick. He didn't hypnotize 5,000 people and made them think that he multiplied 5,000 uh, fish, all of those fish and all of those loaves and that and say, yo, um, they ate some. He didn't do that. It was a real event, but he wanted to point them to more than just the snack. And when he began to point them to what that miracle pointed to, they still wanted more of the miracle, but they didn't want more of the Messiah. And what happened? And it says when Jesus starts talking about drinking his blood and eating his flesh, heads was, heads was dropping like flies, falling back like, oh, he is. Now, I was listening to him up to this point. Now he's wilding out. Now they're saying Jesus wilding out, right? But what happened is his 12 come over to him, and I don't know what Peter and them were looking like. They probably was looking like, ah, this is dipping language, Jesus. And, and, and Jesus goes, Jesus goes, dip. He said, he said, do y'all want to roll too? Y'all welcome. Even though I prayed all night that God would bring all 12 of y'all my way. But, I mean, dip. Do your thing. You know what I like about Jesus? Jesus ain't press. He ain't press. He ain't pressed. He, he wants you to want to be with him. He don't want you. He, like he, he, not, he not like losing his mind because somebody don't like him. Can you arm yourself with that way of thinking? <laughs> and, then, and then Peter comes out. He said, you, I mean, what you see, you do sound rugged, Jesus, but you are the one with the words to eternal life. You got to be willing. And this is, this is what's dope about Jesus. Jesus only wants to have relationships with people that have substance. Can you arm yourself with that? Or can you be around a bunch of people that have no substance? Jesus, in arming yourself with his way of thinking, you can't wear your heart on your sleeve. Because if you wear your heart on your sleeve, everything's going to be about you and not his way of thinking. But not only that, he wasn't just willing to deal with relational friction. He was also willing to be misunderstood. This is my, you know, 
this is this is one of my uh, you know I, I like the fact that Jesus was willing to be misunderstood. I mean, when he did miracles and he lived to the glory of the Father, he didn't mind people misunderstanding him as long as they misunderstood him for the right reasons. See, many of us, see, and that's why your identity has to be found in Christ, because if it's not found in Christ, you're going to be switching up kingdom game and giving it away regularly because you want to please man versus God. And if, you, if you're going to walk with Jesus Christ, you got to be massively willing to be misunderstood. And this illustration is going to come from the same passage. And then wasn't willing to please man at the expense of the glory of God. You know what I'm saying? I, I, one of my favorite passages on Jesus' convos with cats is in, is in, is in um, Matthew chapter 22 where they began asking him, you know, is, 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 uh, you know are, are your works from God or from men? And, 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 and Jesus says, well, I, I'll answer your question, but answer me this. He said, was the baptism of John from God or from men? They were like, hold on, hold on one second. Um, bring, bring it in. Bring it in for a minute. Bring it in for a minute. Um, um, now, you know we say, you know if we say it's from God, you're going to say, well, we didn't listen to him. If we say it's from men, you know what I'm saying? That then everybody gonna stone us, and we trying to get a contract out on his life. So, you know, so, dang. So, what, what you what you think, Pharisee Joe? What you should say? You know, he said, "Well, you know what? Tell him we don't know." That's your, that's your final answer. He says, "Yeah, rock paper scissors." Okay, go. He said, "What's your answer?" He <laughs> says. He, he says, um, we don't know. <laughs> Jesus says, well, neither will I tell you. But, but, but this other one that I like, this is, this is my favorite, favorite one. This is my favorite, 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 favorite one, right? <clears throat> where, where, where he asked them, because they were tripping off the fact that he allowed himself to be called the son of God, equal with God. And he said in Psalm 119, he said in Psalm 110, 1 and 2, he says, when, when, God, when David spoke in the spirit, he said, he said, he said, he said, he said, sit at my right hand. He said, my Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool unto your feet. I like that. Because it's my Yahweh said to my Adonai, which are names that are for God only. He said, who is he talking to? Platokin. He's still back there. Go ahead and answer. Go ahead and answer. <laughs> Go ahead and answer. Cass was quiet. And Jesus said, and, it, and the text said, and they never ventured to ask him another question publicly. See, if you're going to arm yourself with Jesus Christ's way of thinking, you can't be afraid to be fronted on. You can't be afraid to experience relational friction. <clears throat> I mean, because Christ gives us identity, there's a sense you don't have self-esteem. You have Christ-esteem. See, because self gives you issues. Because all of us are jacked up, tore up from the fraud, bad way of thinking. We, we flighty. We thinking one way one minute, one way the next minute. So you can't have self-esteem because if you esteem yourself without someone giving you esteemability, then you're going to be regularly frustrated. 
But see, when you arm yourself with his way of thinking and his way of doing things, then it influences how you view yourself and then it impacts how others view you and you view others. But we love ourselves too much. And so it's hard to arm ourselves with his way of thinking. <laughs> because what his way of thinking says is life is going to be regularly hellacious. Like we've been saying, you're in three phases of life, family. You either in a trial right now, you coming out of trial, praise God, or you going in one. That's three phases. Now, I don't, everybody, everybody in here that's a believer is in one of those phases, but you're always going through those three phases regularly. So you might as well arm yourself with the fact that, if you, that for the rest of your life, you are going to be in those three phases of life. But the issue is, is he's with you while you're in those phases. So, so see, see, that's the difference. You're not suffering alone. You're not frustrated alone. If you're on the brink of a suicide, you're not realizing if you're a believer that he's in you and he's with you. But, you, but your self-esteem is what's making you suicidal because you're thinking about you. It's impossible to be consumed with the glory of Christ and his work and to commit suicide. And so I don't care where you are in life. I pray that we would be consumed with Christological thinking. That we would have Christ the same. Then Big Peter keeps going. <laughs> and he says... And this is a challenging verse right here, section right here, but it's beautifully explainable. It says, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That's powerful. <laughs> that is very powerful. Now, some of y'all thinking, uh-oh, I'm not in the faith. Let's, let's clearly lay out what this verse is saying. He said, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Basically, he's saying, if you have began to be, now in this context, they weren't experiencing heavy persecution yet, right? Remember our background, right? They were experiencing socioeconomic persecution, which means that because they were Christians, people fell back from them, right? And, and Peter is afraid that believers are going to not like being on the outskirts of the culture that they were used to, the subculture they were used to, and they'll go back to them. So what he says is, he says, if you are experiencing people who you used to wild out with distancing themselves from you, it's because you ceased from sin. Now, notice he didn't say sins. He said sin. Why? Because now, if, if, because what he's saying is that, that, that you have been clearly transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his marvelous son. You, you have been transferred spiritually from the philosophy of life and the region in which Satan reigns, sin reigns, and death reigns because of Christ's work. And, and, and now that you've been transferred from it and it's actually impacted you and now you're walking in the Christian faith, you are experiencing a little bit of turmoil. He says that's normal. What's, what's banging about that is I remember the day Paul got saved in Acts 9. It's crazy. When Jesus <coughs> talked to Annas, you know what I'm saying? He said, he said, 
don't, don't front on Paul. That's my translating. He said, don't front on him because I must show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So after the blinders got taken off of Paul's eyes, that's the sermon he got. When the believers in Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 25, it says, And after they preached the gospel to that entire city, they made many disciples. They appointed elders, and then they were urging them in the faith that through many trials and tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, as we, Paul and Barnabas and his whole little crew was like, after we dip, hell's going to break loose. But don't get scared. That's normal. That's the way we go into the kingdom. That's the way we, if you are going through because of the gospel, you're experiencing the kingdom. But remember, I said because of the gospel, because remember earlier, Paul said, don't be getting in trouble because it's you wilding out. Peter said that, right? And so he said, whoever suffered, uh, 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 suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. In other words, sin by God's grace has, begins to wane in their life, but they've been removed because why? Remember, last week we were talking about baptism. And remember, the section was about spiritual baptism, not merely physical baptism. And we see over in Romans chapter 6 that the Lord Jesus Christ put an end to the power of sin in our lives while we're living the Christian life on planet Earth. And so now we're given the ability to not live under the reign of King Sin, but King Jesus. And so that means that you don't have to wild out no more. Pray the Lord. If you're wilding now and you're in Christ, you ain't got to wild no more. Why? Because that's not your modus operandi anymore. But the issue is you got to realize that. And so I hope that we as Christians <coughs> continue to walk in a biblical way that is worthy of the kingdom of Christ. What's banging is that word ceased is a perfect passive indicative. That means he says ceased past tense from sin. <coughs> that means that in a particular point in time in the past, it's still having present effects. But the passive mean you didn't do it. It was done for you. <laughs> it was done to you by an outside agent. So the ceasing of sin is not a work of man, but it's a work of God. And so, and so, and so we see that, remember, and I always tell people wherever I go, all theology starts with God, not with man. God precedes man in all good things. So he says, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased um, from sin. Next he says, in the next session, he goes, he says, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh. He's not talking about, you know, flesh in the sense of negative in the flesh, but in the body, in a, in, in a, in a fallen world. No longer for human passions but the will of God. That word there for passions is the word epithumeto. It can be used, uh, it can be used in negatively or it can be used positively. And so, and so, and so, and so, that, so that word there means to have a, an extremely strong passion for someone, something, in some place. 
And he says, if you are in Christ, you no longer are living your life based on your own rendition of what life should be like. Your own personal passions, your own personal preferences devoid of God's biblical principles. It means illegitimate, impulsive desires. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, that we couldn't help it. That our will was in bondage and we indulged in the epithumeo of the mind, the lust of the mind. Whatever our minds could dream up, no matter how good you think it was and no matter how bad you think it was, it was foul thinking and foul living in the mind of the living God. Colossians 3, Paul brings it up, this human passions. It's a bad sense of unrestrained, uh, unrestrained desire for forbidden lust, craving evil, to covet and to crave. And so the Christian is called to have a credible life. Say credible life. In other words, we, our lives, based on the power of God, as we grow spiritually and repent and admit our sins, builds kingdom credibility around us. Paul is very, Peter is very concerned about the spiritual credibility of believers. Because whenever believers are not walking in biblical Christianity, it messes up the world's view of Christianity because they don't see any distinction or any difference. And so he says, we no longer live for human passions. <laughs> we no longer live with merely what we can come up with. But he says, we live for the will of God. The will of God is singular here. It's interesting that it's in the singular. It didn't say the wills of God. It said the will of God, singular. So God has a sphere that every Christian is free to walk in called his will. There's some things, with, most things within his will, you don't have to pray about. It's already his will. Your prayer is that you do his will, not all the time necessarily what his will is. Because, see, some of us already know what the will of God is, and we'll be asking him because we think his answer is going to change. But he says, your life, if you want to know your purpose, this is a, one of those purpose passages. Your purpose in life is to maximize the will of God in your life. Living for the will of God. I, I didn't realize how many times in the New Testament it talked about the will of God. In Mark chapter 335, in Romans chapter 827, Romans chapter 12 verse 2, 1 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, uh, 2 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, 2 Corinthians 8.5, Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, Ephesians 6.6, 6, Colossians 1.1, 1, 1, Colossians 4.12. The will of God, the will of God, the will of God, the will of God. The New Testament is filled with a philosophy of the will of God. And this is the, the, and the will of God is the sphere of freedom by which the Christian is able to glorify God. And this is not talking about, you know, well, what's the will of God for unbelief? Now, he's not talking about that. He's talking about, and most of the writers in the New Testament are talking about the forward thinking of what it looks like to walk in the will of the living God. And so he lays this out for um, these believers. So he says, no longer living for human passions, but living for the will of God. It reminds me, I just, I just switched over to AT&T recently. And, um, you know, you'll go into a, into a, into a space 
and where AT&T doesn't provide a signal. So what will happen is your phone will start roaming. It will just start roaming, finding stuff, looking for a place so that it can connect to something to get a signal. But what I found out about roaming is that it has charges that's beyond what's already paid for. And if you choose to roam where there's no signal, it's going to cost you something. See, I'm trying to tell you right now to stop roaming. Jesus Christ has already paid the charges. You just need to get back to where his signal is. See, some of you are going into some relationships in some areas and you're not sensing a signal from heaven. That's because you're in the wrong place. You're walking in human passions. You're going down the wrong street and the signal's off and you're like, I can't get a signal. I can't get a signal. And God is like, I know. <laughs> but as soon as you begin walking again in the right place, ah, all my bars are up. Up, 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 up. Okay, go this way. Go this way. Okay, stay on the line. Stay on the... Stay, ah! Don't lose your signal, fam. Yeah, don't, don't lose your signal. <clears throat> I pray that you will stay where God is blessing. His fear. And so Peter is consumed with these young Asia Minor Christians who are in deep and enriched need of continued encouragement to walk with Jesus no matter what. So he continues to go on, and that brings us to our next point. <clears throat> if you're going to walk in the consequences of the Christian faith, not only changes our view of God's way of thinking and God's way of doing things, but it also changes our relationship with our past. It changes your relationship with your past. Let's read verses 3 and 4. <laughs> the first part, it says, it says, the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. <laughs> Listen to what he's saying, fam. He's saying it's over. He said, don't be daydreaming about what, you, what sins you could have did back in the past. Let me give you an example. You know, I was out there when I was out in the world. I was out there, right? And it was girls that I wanted to get with, right? So I ended up tr walk, trusting Jesus Christ, started walking with him. Then all of a sudden, chicks that I was clocking in the past now want to be with your boy. So I'm like, I'm starting to meditate on, dang, man, if they would have came like five months ago, I could have, mm, then the Lord would have came, mm, then I'd have been able to repent, you know. That's a whack way of thinking. Wishing that you would have maximized your sin when you had a chance to sin. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm just being real. Be careful. You know, I went back to homecoming, me and my I was, I was like, I love you, baby. Love you, girl. Because, see, you can begin to meditate and, and, and misunderstand how good you think things were before you trusted Jesus. Egypt wasn't like that, fam. See, we don't remember what it was like to smoke a blunt and still feel empty. 
Some of us don't remember what it was like to drink some Remy and some Henny. You know the song say, you know, you know what I'm talking about. But you, y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all went the song in your mind right now. I ain't going to even sing it. You know what I'm saying? And remember what, I remember what it was like when I used to smoke and look up at the stars and feel so empty. We don't remember what it was like to be going out in illicit relationships trying to find what only God could give. We forgot about that emptiness. But we just think about the high that we got and we begin to daydream about evil again. Paul, Peter says the time is over. It's suffice. It's over. B.C. is gone. A.D. is here. It's over. It wasn't a booming life. The booming life is now. Why you're going through. That's crazy. That's crazy. He's saying, I know it seemed like you had freedom and it seems like it's more chains on you now. But I'm telling you, you're more free now than you thought you were free. But when you thought you were really free. <laughs> he says, so the time is over. <clears throat> for the Christian for wilding, if you wilding right now, stop. You're not living out your identity in Christ. You are living based on who you were, not on who you are. But listen, now Peter's so real. He said, I know I got to chop it up for y'all, right? <laughs> he said, I know I got to kind of lay some stuff out. He gives some of the most graphic past sins. Now, if you look at most of this, like Paul always got a list. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 4, Colossians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 5. Like he has his list of sins, right? Peter was grimy with his. Like Peter went to a whole nother level just giving you a snapshot of some old freaky nasty. You know, I mean, I mean, and the Bible talk about some stuff. Not to just be, uh, not, not to be shocking, but to let you know that God sees everything. He saw you. And Peter going to say it right here. Check it out. <clears throat> Peter says, he says, living in sensuality. Wow. Let's break down what sensuality is. Sensuality is sexual greed. Debauchery. It means anything goes. It means... And Peter says, remember when some of y'all were a freak? Now, the Bible said that, not me. He said, he said now, if you want to act like it was all right, remember when you used to sleep around and how empty you felt that that sleeping around didn't work? It's lewdness. It's to be unrestrained in your moral attitudes and behaviors, desecrating sexual unrestraint. So he's, 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 he says sensuality, even suggesting of sin. So, so he lays out sensuality, not only sensuality, he says passions. Now passions here are referring to all human impulses that tend towards immorality. It probably refers here specifically to access, indulgence in sex and acts of self-gratification. Then he goes into drunkenness and orgies. Now, this is the text. This is the text. I'm not making this up. He's saying, he, he's saying basically these were drinking parties where people would roll over and sleep with whoever was in the room while others are sleeping together all together. Orgies. He said, he said remember that some of y'all were up on that. 
How did it feel when you came up out of that? Bisexual, trisexual, bisexual, whatever sexual you were. It wasn't even working, wasn't it? Orgies. Then he, it was interesting. He said drinking parties. But Cass said, chug, 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 chug. See, he, he, he said, I ain't been a Christian all my life. He said, I was a fisherman, a businessman who hung out on the shore and wilded out myself. And so he's talking about drinking party with cats. Got shots lined up on the table and seeing who could drink the most the fastest. And if you could still stand up at the end. Salt and lime and carrying on. He said drinking parties where you celebrated. The, 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 the point of these words is for him. He's talking about how you live in the festivity of sin. He says, you lived, at, at, sin was the, the passions and desires that you can press out. That's why Solomon was so depressed when he wrote Ecclesiastes. That's, he, that was a depressed man writing. That's why you got to be careful how you read Ecclesiastes. You better do some homework before you start doing some stuff that he wasn't trying to tell you to do. Like he said, I forgot the amount, but I forgot how many billions of dollars it said that Solomon was worth more than Bill Gates. More than Bill Gates. And, it's, and, and this, is, this is Solomon's statement. Solomon said, I have taken my time and utilized the wealth given me to explore all of the pleasures that I could explore. And he said, guess what conclusion I came to? It's all a vapor. Why is he depressed? He's the wisest man in the Bible and the richest man in the Bible and the one who squandered the most of kingdom resources in the Bible. And so he's sitting there writing Ecclesiastes, repenting under the, 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 the control and superintending work of the Holy Spirit, frustrated with how he's wasted his life. <laughs> he said, I've had four, I, I had 900 women in my life. He says, I've drank from the Orient. I've drinking stuff from Africa. I've had people bring me all types of brand new spices. I've had women that nobody knew about. I had this. I had that. I had this type of loot. I had these type of crisps. I own property in, in, in Madagascar. I own car, uh, uh, property in the South Pole. And guess what? Vapors. What a waste. And you and Christ have more resources than Solomon. Are you wasting your resources? What are you doing with the resources Christ has put in your hands for his glory? Are you carousing still? <coughs> are you in a relationship you know is raggedy? Are you cheating? What, what, whatever it is, I pray that it would bug you. Be very afraid if sin doesn't bug you anymore. Be very afraid if it doesn't frustrate you anymore. Be very afraid if the Holy Spirit, it, it feels like if it was a physical punch, if, if, I could, if I could just give 
a pain sense. So when the Holy Spirit is convicting me of something I did that I know that I was wrong, it feels like two people, I'm on my knees, and two cats got sledgehammers on both sides of my head and are just hitting my head from both sides. If you've really been convicted by the Spirit. And so, and so, and so Peter is passionate about seeing believers not continue to walk in the goofiness of an unbiblical Christian life. But then he says, verse 4, he says, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the flood, in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. That word there is the word blaspheme. You know, whenever people accuse Christians of something they're not and not doing, that's called blasphemy. There's blasphemy towards God, and there's also blasphemy towards Christians. That's called slandering or maligning. Ascribing to someone something, uh, uh, ascribing to someone a title that's below their identity. That's the sense of this word blasphemy and slandering. And so, and so, and so he's pointing us, he's pointing us to, to the fact that, that, in, in, that in Christ, that, that they, people should be surprised that you're not joining them. They should be surprised. I remember when I was involved with my frat, the frat that I was in. Cash tried to hand me all types of stuff. And if not for the grace of God, I'd have been handed all kinds of things. But people need to be surprised by your life. Your life should be shocking. Not because you're on Girls Gone Wild, but because you're on Kingdom Gone Wild. You should live a shocking life, a shocking life, a shocking Christian life that through Christ blows people's minds that these opportunities are right in front of your grill and the power of the living Christ sustains and give you the grace to say, I'm falling back, fam. Y'all do you. I'm going to do him. Is that your steez on the college campus? Is that your steez, college students? Are people surprised at your life? Are they surprised how you all group up in clusters, not being sectarian or anything and, and, and not being missional and engaging and loving people? I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about the walk that Christ has graced you to live. Are they surprised by it? Or are you camouflaged into the mirage and collage of the campus? Or has Christ whether you're popular or not, giving you the grace to stand out because of him, not because of some demon swagger. And so he goes on and he says, and this brings me to my last point. It changes how you view God's way of thinking and God's way of doing things. It changes your relationship with your past. But not only that, the consequences of the Christian life changes our relationship to eternity. <laughs> it changes our relationship to eternity. It's beautiful. He says, but they, talking about the, un, the person that has rejected Christ, <laughs> he says, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Wow. So Joel, <coughs> in Joel chapter 2 says that Jesus Christ is going to come to the valley of Jehoshaphat, 
the valley of decision, the valley of judgment. Zephaniah 14.4 says he's going to step onto the Mount of Olives. It says that he's going to surf on a cloud and the cloud is going to let him off. He's going to dismount his horse and he's going to stand on the top of the Mount of Olives. It's going to split in half and one foot is going to be to the east and one foot is going to be to the west. And all of a sudden, the librarians in heaven... The angels are going to come down with heaven's library of everybody's life. I don't know if it's going to be TVOD, uh, DVR, or I don't know what it's going to be, whether it's going to be holocrons, or ho I don't know what it's going to be. All I know is, is all the stuff is going to be laid out in front, and Jesus is going to be standing massively glorious, gorgeous with all of his beauty, and nobody can front anymore. And he's going to be standing there. Books are going to be open. Cats are going to be like, I ain't do that. Roll. Oh, you talking about that time. Oh, that time. Oh, oh I ain't know you are talking about that. He left as a lamb and he's coming back as a lion. Glorious in all of his majesty. And I, he, who, I, I don't know. I can't, y'all, y'all, I, I don't, I don't know how, like, I can't imagine being at the bottom of the Mount of Olives. Jesus is standing up there. If you're in that valley during that time, be very scared. If you're not flanking Jesus up there on the Mount of Olives, watching and partaking in judgment. See, that's the place I want to be. I don't want to be looking up with my book or my flat screen plasma in front of me. If you got a, I'm just telling you, if you die, I'm telling you, if you got a plasma in front of you, you're doomed. And he says, you're going to have to tell him why. That's what giving account means. Lay it out for me. And he, he going to lay out stuff that people didn't know that, they, they, that people knew that they did because the eyes of the Lord see everything. And so here in this text, it doesn't present a punk Jesus family. The dude off in the frame with light flashing in front of him and his hair in the wind. Doing cartwheels in a field. This is not the Jesus of the Bible. Someone, come on, Peter, you first. That's, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. Tag, you're it. <laughs> that's not. Freeze. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, red light. He ain't going to be playing that with you. Some of y'all forgot about that. <laughs> he ain't going to be playing them games. He going to be up there, bloodshot eyes, full of judgment and fire. Looking down. Grill, swagger, beefy. Looking down. That's the Jesus I serve. And I reverence and I tremble at him. Both. People always want to, oh, that just means reverence. No, I'm scared of Jesus. But see, the good thing now is if you know Christ, you're not on that side anymore. He says, no, no, that's not how you look at me no more. He says, now you can, he said, no, that's, 
See, let, but I want him to bring me to that point. I don't like want to go all up on him. What's up, big dog? <laughs> Jesus, you my man, dog. I mean, I, I got to have a different posture to the Lord of glory. That's the one you have to give an account to him. And the father, listen, the Bible says, if anyone falls in the hand of an angry God, well, Jesus said in John 5 that all judgment has been handed over to him. So the father doesn't even judge anymore. Jesus judged on behalf of the triune God. The Holy Spirit points him out. Him, him, yep, him, him. <laughs> bring him all here, bring him all here. Him, 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 him. Father, like, go, son. I see you, big boy. Put a robe on him, drape him real nice, gorgeous light, even though he's, I don't know whether G's going to have it. I don't know what it's going to be like, but he's going to be scared, though. I'm going to be scared of him. But it goes, and this is the interesting part. He goes there and reminds them of that. What happens to those who don't know him? But then he gives them the sweetest encouragement. I had a little, I had to work through this verse for a while, but, but then I got, a, 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 I got some clarity on it. And it says here, it says in verse 6, it says, for this, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh, the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. It's powerful. He's encouraging them. He says, listen, he said, persecution is going to get real rough for you guys. And some of you are going to die. He said, you know that other Christians that you know of have died as martyrs. He's talking to these believers in this context. And, he's, and, he, and he said, some of them had the gospel preached to them while they were still alive. All of them. They trusted Christ and are dead now in order that they may live eternally in the spirit, the way God does. In other words, the spiritual connection that Jesus was trying to get Nicodemus to understand about being born again. He says, I want you to be encouraged. He says, I want you to be encouraged that, that for, for, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead so that this wouldn't happen to them. And he says, he says and you were once dead. But the gospel was preached to you so that you won't have to give that type of account. You will stand before a bema seat or bema seat. You will stand before that, but that won't be for eternity, whether or not you'll spend time with God in eternity. Salvation is sealed. That's beautiful. And so he tells them, he says, listen, I want you to be encouraged in light of all of this to walk with Jesus. No matter what happens in your life, no matter what ups and downs, because they're going to happen, no matter what you have, they can be internal ups and downs or external ups and downs. But these are consequences of the Christian life. And I pray that God would give all of us the grace to be content with wherever in the Christian life he allows us to be. That we don't begin to backpedal from the Christian faith, not blaming our backpedaling from Christ on the church or some pastor or somebody that hurt you that you viewed in a certain way. That won't be an excuse that Jesus will accept. And so I pray 
by God's grace, that based on the gospel of Jesus Christ and Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection, that we would continue to feast on him and enjoy him and allow that to to fuel us for the rest of our lives (coughs) to remember that it's not over yet, but our time for wilding out is over. But our time for eternal worship has begun. And maybe you're here today. And you know that you're going to have to give an account to Christ for why you wasn't down with him, why you weren't on to him. I don't care how much swagger you got now. When he comes back, swagger gone. All of it. Goose eggs. You're, not, you're going to be trying to hide somewhere. But there will be nowhere to hide because his presence will shine light where there's darkness. In caves all the way to the earth's core. There'll be nowhere to hide. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just telling you that you have to give an account before that, that God man. The God man. What are you going to do with Jesus? So I pray that you will repent of your sin. That means turn the opposite direction from human passions and turn to the will of God. What is the will of God? That you believe on him who the Father sent. That's Jesus. If you're here today and you want to trust Jesus Christ by faith and faith alone, that he died on the cross and was raised up from the grave, that he made him who knew no sin be sin on your behalf. And if you trust him, your sins are relinquished because of his work. And if that's you and you want to trust him, we got some cards on the back table. We want, to, we want to chop with you. We want to talk to you and walk you through the gospel. But if you believe in the fact that Jesus died and was raised from the grave for you, you're, you're, you're saved. And I pray that we as believers would continue in the faith and be fueled by his power. Father, we honor you. We honor you, Lord. We honor you.